Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, public health for the public. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Interim Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. I'm Dr. Phil Chan. Welcome, everyone. And Dr. Chan, it's great to hang out with you again today. This is like one of the most fun hours of my week, and I do look forward to our chatting today. Today, I'm actually very excited. We're talking to Dr. Robert Segge from Tufts University School of Medicine in, in, right up there in Boston. And Dr. Segge is going to talk to us about positive childhood experiences and the impact on health outcomes, which I, I am thrilled to talk about this. You know, we talked about adverse childhood experiences, I'd say about a month ago. Uh, but one of the fun things about doing this podcast, we have to learn about new topics and positive childhood experiences. I wanted to believe this was true, that there's research on this, and I'm learning today there is, so I'm excited that we're talking about this. But Dr. Segi, welcome to Public Health Out Loud. Good to have you here today. Thank you both for, for inviting me. What a pleasure to, to be here, at least in virtual Rhode Island. Indeed, indeed, virtual Rhode Island. Um, that's great. I haven't thought about it that way, but I think that's a good way to think about Rhode Island sometimes. It's a virtual <laughs> virtual Rhode Island here. So can you just start with telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I'm a pediatrician at Tufts Children's Hospital, and most of my career did primary care. More recently, I've, I'm a child abuse pediatrician. So when someone on our hospital staff is concerned that a child might have been abused and neglected, I'm one of the doctors they call to help figure out what might have happened. But my real work now is on the prevention of child abuse. And through a long and winding tale, I could tell you how we got there. But we now know that parents love their children. What, a, what an amazing thing to find out. And that children thrive when they have certain kinds of positive experiences. And these experiences change us as adults, change children um, for the better and help us heal and avoid some of the problems from adversity. So our goal is we actually want to turn pediatric ups upside down um, so that pediatricians begin by thinking about people's strength and stamina and the experiences we do want children to have um, and then get into all the challenges and things that get in the way. Because uh, it's been such a pleasure being a pediatrician for my career and seeing all the things that families already do with their kids um, that we just find out incidentally, what if we were intentional about that? How cool would that be? Dr. Sagi, thank you so much again for joining us right up the road at uh, Tufts University. We have a lot of fantastic collaborators between Boston and Providence, and not too far away, 15 minute, uh, 50 minutes without traffic, of course, but thank you for joining us. Uh, you know, one thing that we've talked about on the podcast before are adverse childhood events, uh, and certainly child abuse would uh, fall under that. Uh, but can you remind our listeners, when we talk about adverse childhood events, what are we talking about here? Sure. This, this came from a study done in 1998, or published in 1998 in Southern California, where they asked adults at a health maintenance organization, Kaiser Permanente, um, about their childhood. And included in that survey were questions about 10 different kinds of experiences that they might have had um, child physical abuse, child sexual abuse, child neglect, parents with substance use disorder, parents with mental health problems. There were 10 of those. And what they found was the more different kinds of adverse childhood experiences that a person had, the more in danger their adult health was. And this study has been reproduced and done over and over in different populations. And it's pretty robust that those things that happen to us in childhood have absolutely lifelong health effects. And as time has gone on, people have found that they were particularly vulnerable from birth to three and again, during adolescence, when we have real spurts of brain growth, 
uh, which makes it possible to derail that development. So those adverse childhood experiences are the basis of some trauma-informed care concepts, and I've made a real difference in understanding the importance of those childhood experiences on our adult health. Yeah, and, and Dr. Segi, as we, as we talk about that, can you talk about what are, what are some health outcomes that are linked to adverse childhood events? Let's just start with that before we get into positive childhood experiences, because obviously I want to get into that topic, but what about health outcomes that are linked to adverse childhood experiences? What are some of those? Sure, well, mental health outcomes, um, particularly depression, um, heart disease, some kinds of cancer, substance use disorder, obesity, liver disease. And I, I used to joke that there are, if you have an, a bad health outcome, you can find it somewhere in ACEs because they're, they're, it's really extraordinary um, how much of our adult health is linked to our childhood. Um, but those are a few of them. And we, so we know that people who've had these adverse childhood experiences may have poor health habits like smoking, or using drugs, and there's uh, definite associations there, and those can in turn lead to uh, poor adult health and, and shortened lives. Yeah, thank you for that, Dr. Sagan. And you know, this is interesting timing. So I have a 10 and a 14 year old. So I've thought about oh, congratulations. That's fun. Thank you very much. Uh, so I, you know, thought often about, you know, I, one thing that came up as I was talking to my wife the other day was. And one of the hardest things I think to do as a parent is to let your children fail. You know, one thing in public health, and certainly I'm an adult ID physician. So one thing that we often look at is things like resilience and ability to overcome. And there's this, there's this common Chinese proverb, actually, that's always stuck in my mind, which is in crisis, there's opportunity. You know, when people are really challenged is when they grow. But I guess when I was talking to my wife about this the other day, and certainly, you know, child abuse is clearly, you know, wrong, terrible. Uh, but when we talk about some of these adverse childhood events, how does one think about what is normal learning, growing uh, versus what is truly like an adverse childhood event? And where's that line there that we should draw where we try to protect our kids versus mm -hmm. letting them fail and, and go through some of this normal uh, life processes? So that, that is such a great question. Um, so I'm going to give you two examples because it's, I think it's easier to think about examples. So your kids are uh, 10 and 14. So you may remember when they were in kindergarten, um, they might have played this game called Foursquare. Um, and Foursquare is a, a game where you kids, they draw like a little square on the asphalt and they stand in the four corners and they're supposed to bounce the ball and do different things. Very, very familiar. I'll say it has morphed now into Fortnite. But I remember okay. Foursquare. Yes, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> That's totally perfect. And probably the same thing happens with Fortnite. But when, if you're an observer, what you would see is a bunch of kids are standing there. One's holding a red rubber ball, and they're arguing about the rules. And if you know, if you have like a time motion study, that's what they're doing. But what they're doing, that's an opportunity for emotional growth because they're learning to take each other's viewpoints. They're learning to negotiate. They're learning to handle disagreement. So as an adult, you know, we're also outcomes oriented, you know, just, just agree on something and play the game, right? Um, so that's an example of a really good kind of stress because that's how we have emotional growth and learn about empathy and continuing in sports. Um, you know, if you, if you play baseball, like you're a terrific baseball player, if you get on base one out of three times that, you know, that you're up to hit, right? Um, but that means that two out of three times you fail. So those failures really make us. On the other hand, the things that, that are toxic are things where the child has no control and, and there's not gonna be any good outcome. So continuing with that playground analogy, if there's a bully 
in the playground who continually picks on a child who is um, emotionally or physically less strong. So the child fears recess, doesn't get a chance to explore or play with their friends or resolve issues because they're living in fear physically or emotionally, that can be toxic. So I think those are kind of really just classic examples of the difference between those two different things. Yeah, and I wanna build on that a little bit. So let's get into the meat of our conversation today. How do positive childhood experiences affect health outcomes is really part of what we wanna talk about today. Really, it's sort of a, the main issue here. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? Because that's what every parent wants, right? I mean, yep. every parent wants positive childhood experiences. I mean, I remember every time I took my kids home from the hospital it was such an amazing thing. One, I couldn't believe they let me take them home, each kid, because it was like, <laughs> it's such an amazing gift. I can't believe we get to go with our little one home. Um, but we never want anything bad to happen to any of our kids. We were very attentive and careful and still are. Um, but it's like, we never want anything bad, but we wanted to do everything as parents just to have positive childhood experiences, but we're parents too. So like, but you know, I mean, I guess let's talk about how do they affect health outcomes? What are your thoughts on that? First of all, the positive uh, experiences that we talk about, they're kind of four buckets of them. One of the relationships, and you mentioned when your children are born. So for each of us, we, we kind of get born, we open our eyes, we look around and there's the person who gave birth to us. Um, so that mother-child relationship is the first relationship we have. And then we have relations with caregivers and with peers and other kids, other adults. So that's having those strong relationships, particularly when you're um, facing some stress, it's a building block. Having an environment where you feel safe to explore and to, to play and you know, whatever, um, that's important. Feeling like you matter. So if you give a child chores or things to do so they feel proud that the household functions because of them, um, that's another one. And the final one are opportunities for emotional growth. And, and those come uh, from things like, like child-centered play that we, that we just talked about. Um, so I, I think that the health outcomes, what we've seen, we've documented uh, positive health outcomes in terms of the prevention of um, mental health problems, depression in particular, mental health problems in general. Um, for adults. We're about to publish a paper that also shows they protect against substance use disorder. Um, in Australia, they just came out with a paper that looked at a birth cohort, children born in 2004, and followed them till they were um, in their mid-teens. In addition to um, health outcomes, they also found they had better academic outcomes uh, from these positive experiences. So we're still learning. We're doing more work now with the CDC to look at more of these physical health outcomes um, in a larger sample. Yeah, Dr. Segi, thank you so much for that. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. So as a parent myself, as I mentioned, uh, I'm certainly not perfect, right? And I fail. And if you talk to my kids, I probably fail all the time. But I'm just wondering, you know, we see some bad outcomes, as you are mentioning, in terms of uh, later in life, in adulthood, uh, et cetera. To you, is there a tipping point or what, what makes it uh, such that some kids have problems later in life and some don't. Uh, I mean, none of us, you know, had a perfect childhood. I don't think, you know, I certainly didn't did. Mm -hmm. uh, but what, what's sort of that tipping point and what, what really leads to more kids having worse outcomes later in life? Uh, how do you think about that? Sure. So first of all, everything is, these are risk factors, right? So that there's so many things going on. There's what you control as a parent. And I know raising my own kids, I always felt like everything was my responsibility. Well, actually not, not quite as much as I thought, certainly a lot. Um, so, there's, and there's that element of randomness that goes in there too with the circumstances and then the different genes and diseases, all those things. Leaving that aside, what we think 
is that all of us experience stress in life. And it's the ability to deal with that stress that really makes a big difference. So that when people get stressed out and they are able to have close friends who they talk with or um, able to go to the gym and work out or do a long run or whatever it takes so they can process some of the stress they're feeling and cope with it, they're going to have a better outcome. And people who kind of fall apart or turn to um, substances to handle that, um, in general, they're going to do much worse. So those things come during childhood because that's when you learn about emotional self-regulation. We talked about failure, right? When you, when you do something and it doesn't work, you develop the sense of, well, that didn't work, but I can keep going. And, and it does not just in childhood. Oh, my gosh. It continues. Like as adults, how many things do we try and don't work? We need to be able to say, well, that didn't work. We'll try something else. And it's hard. Let me ask you this. I mentioned I have a 14-year-old and uh, young teenager, you know, uh, crying the other day. Hopefully she doesn't listen and, and kill me later. But, you know, she's crying the other day because she's so stressed out over school. She's got a test. When uh, adolescents, young adolescents are starting to experience real stress, you know, we've all studied for tests, certainly as doctors. <laughs> and, I, and I think you hit this on the head is having kids manage stress because we're all going to have problems, you know, eventually in our lives. What would you tell parents in terms of teaching their kids about how to manage stress, what to do, how to manage that in a healthy way? Well, first of all, your child needs to know that you love them no matter what. And if they fail the test, they st you'll still love them. And so that, that's an important message. But you can also listen to them and their stress. And, and one mistake that all of us make, um, myself included, is trying to tell kids how they should feel. Oh, that test isn't such a big deal. You shouldn't be so stressed out right? And uh, generally speaking, people don't like to be told how to feel, but you can help them figure out like making a plan. What do you need to do to feel more comfortable? Let's sit down. Do you want me to ask you questions or do you want to set a timer so that you can move from that general anxiety to help the kid move from the general anxiety about the test tomorrow to concrete things? And even if they, and they're going to tell you they're 14, oh, that would never work. That would never work. And then they'll turn around and do it, which is okay. Um, but what you're trying to do as a parent is use your experience in the world, including your failures, as a way to give them a scaffolding to conquer the stress and anxiety that they're feeling. You know, Dr. Segi, you, you, I mean, one of the things you just remind about is how loving our children unconditionally is really important. That's just an important concept. And I, I think back to like having hopes and dreams for our kids. Uh, and I think, you know, when some of our listeners look back, Sometimes they look like, you know, I didn't have the greatest role models for parenting. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times we hear people talk about maybe breaking the cycle of intergenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. So how do you help parents avoid repeating trauma for their kids? Is it really that simple? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? So I do a fair amount of my work working with programs that help parents over, overcome that. So the first thing to understand is that history is not destiny. And, um, and Dr. McDonald, when a parent shows up and tells you that, they have taken a major step because they have decided they don't want for the child what they had and that it's not inevitable. And maybe by talking to you or other people who know some things, they may be able to prevent it. So um, first of all, recognize the courage and strength it takes to tell someone, um, the doctor in particular, like what's, what's going on and what you're worried about. Um, secondly, there are, um, I'm sure there are in Rhode Island, there are family resource centers. There are lots of places where parents can get um, sometimes parenting classes. Um, for other people, 
there may be something to their church, mosque, or synagogue where there are parents, where there are groups of parents with kids of certain ages, or play groups, or things like that, so that parents can um, can see um, and learn more about uh, positive parenting just by by being there and being part of that community. And the other thing that I think of as a pediatrician, and I, I think you probably relate, is I think that the best indicator for a family that's going to succeed is if the parents have fun doing it. So one thing we need to do is say, you know, we're all going to make mistakes. Children are going to learn from our mistakes, um, as well as from the things we do well and how we deal with those mistakes. So if you're open with your kid and love them, if you're feeling angry, you can tell them, I'm really angry. You just have to get out of my sight for a minute. Um, while, I, while I deal with this, they'll learn about emotional self-regulation and you won't be repeating a cycle of violence. And just the other thing as a, as a provider and a practical matter, if parents have their own mental health issues, depression is pretty common or a substance use disorder, they may need more specific help in overcoming those barriers, things that get in their way of being good parents. Wonderful. I love the concept of having fun, uh, making it fun. And certainly if, if my kids learn uh, through my failures, they're going to be brilliant at this rate. Uh, but I think we all uh, realize, too, that, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the home and parents, uh, guardians, et cetera. But what about other societal factors? Uh, that's the broader question. What are the other societal factors that play a role in this? And I think one thing that we all realize, of course, is is uh, the, the impact of peers and the friend network. And I guess my secondary question to you would be, uh, I certainly worry that my kids will fall in with the wrong friends. Is that a reasonable concern? Should, we, should I care less about that? What are your thoughts about both of those questions? Okay. Well, first of all, I think that if you look at a larger societal point of view, we can do a lot better. Because one of the ways that you, I mentioned, you learn emotional regulation is through child-centered play. So you need to have well, safe places to play. It's have playgrounds that are in good repair and, and that the kids have access to or green spaces or access to nature. Um, and we live in a very wealthy country and we demonstrated during COVID that we have the ability to, to lift millions of children out of poverty. And um, as we all know, children are the poorest group in society. So we're gonna talk more about the specific things that parents can do, but I think as a society, um, continuing to support children and families so they're not facing terrible financial stress or worried about being evicted or all of those things. We can, we can really create an environment for positive experiences and, and, you know, and invest in our communities. So the specific things, of course, you're sure about your kids getting in with the wrong crowd. Kids learn from peers. It's complicated in any particular situation, but your children will learn from what's going on and the, uh, they will um, emulate the older kids who they look up to. So it's worth worrying about. But even kids who are the wrong crowd, when you get to know them, some of the people who you make a snap judgment about may not be the ones that you have to worry about. Um, so it's, it's a very complicated thing. And I think that there is no magic answer to parenting to the extent that you can have an open relationship with your child. Um, and they can talk to you about stuff, that's helpful. Um, part of teen development is having your own life that your parents don't know about. So here's a doctor giving you that advice and also knowing that teenagers aren't gonna share everything with you. So this is, uh, it's complicated and it's knowing, knowing your children well enough to, to know when, when there are problems. We can talk about that forever. I, I love talking about kids' behavior. But I think as far as creating positive childhood experiences, thinking about not over-structuring them 
so that they have time for their own their own child-centered play with their friends. Boredom is not the enemy because boredom is when you need when you invent things. It's really okay. And watching out for not necessarily those bad people, but things like bullying or cyberbullying or other things that are going on um, that, that could be out of your child's control. Yeah, you know, that was a lot in there. And I, I, I want to get back to something else on positive childhood experiences. So one of the things you just talked a little bit about was the pandemic. So, mm-hmm. you know, the pandemic, I, I don't want to talk about the physical health on kids, but maybe the mental health on kids and how that maybe affected, um, you know, kids. Because the pandemic brought on a lot of circumstances um, for kids that were unexpected. I mean, as I'm a pediatrician when I'm not doing this at the Department of Health, and I know during the pandemic, I prescribed way more Lexapro than amoxicillin. It was just, you know, I mean, a lot of kids I saw with anxiety, depression, it was just, um, you know, just it was really quite noticeable. So I wonder if you can chat a little bit about how the pandemic affected positive childhood experiences. And then I, I also know you did some work with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, a survey of about 9,000 families during the pandemic. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that as well and what you found? Sure. So first of all, um, I there has been a real outbreak of, of mental health problems for kids, and it's it's sad. Um, and it turns out that humans are social animals, so that we were deprived of those uh, meaningful connections. Because one thing, when you're doing things on Zoom, I'm meeting with you now, meeting with Dr. Chan now. This is great. Um, but I'm not bumping into anybody by accident anymore. And, and you're not having the friends of friends who who you might um, connect with or that odd other person who, who... So none of those things are happening. For teenagers in particular, um, one of the things that teenagers really thrive on is being part of a group that's doing something, an athletic team or... Um, people doing art together or singing together or playing in an orchestra or running around, whatever they are. Um, And those informal opportunities where your friends depended on you um, and you depended on them uh, kind of vanished because it was all, it was only the formal things through school and um, interacting over the internet was really good, but not, not complete. So I think that part of the mental health problems simply comes from what happens to a a group of very social animals when you, um, deprive them of that of that need. And with teenagers, when they don't feel like they matter anymore. Um, so our survey, we surveyed 9,000 United States parents um, over three waves in uh, November, February, and July of uh, 2020 and 2021. And we asked them about their experiences. And one of the really cool things was that families were almost all of them doing a lot of things together as families. And many of them reported that they were stressed but they also reported they were growing closer to their children. And we found, to our surprise, um, that things like spanking were way down from historic norms and that parents and children were just dealing with this. So I went back to the, went back to the books and looked it up. And there's this thing called post-traumatic growth. And one of the hallmarks of that is the people who've been through a difficult traumatic experience together grow closer. And we're all really familiar with this when soldiers return from the war, how close they are. And for those of us who are doctors, people who went through residency with us, we have that special bond for life, right? Um, So all those things. I think that that families have grown closer. They really work hard to protect their kids. And I think as a society, we provided 
child tax credits, we provided stimulus money, we provided eviction protection. Um, we did a lot of things to protect families and to our credit, um, we protected families from, from falling apart during that period. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Segi. I think that's a great insight. And I certainly think the pandemic has affected us all, including family units very differently. It's certainly been a challenging time. I know that we're kind of getting to our end here. Uh, maybe you could summarize for our listeners uh, what are the positive childhood experiences again, just to really uh, leave listeners with that? Okay. Um, so first of all, the four kinds of positive experiences that children need to thrive and become resilient. The first one are relationships, relationships with their parents, with their siblings, with other children. And then as they grow up, peer relationships become more important. We also now know how important it is to have two adults other than your mom and dad who know you and care about you. Uh, and, and that's incredibly validating. And most of us can think of um, a few people in our lives who, who really took a special interest in us as we were growing. Uh, and we smile and think about what they did, right? Um, so that's very important. The second one is an environment. So part of it is creating an emotionally safe environment for your children. And we talked about that as far as your child stressed out for their exam or whatever. Um, but also as a society, we need to make sure that children all have a physically safe environment. There's a roof over their head. They're, they're not cold in the winter. There's food in their belly. Um, and parents have a big role in that, but um, so the rest of us. And schools can provide a safe environment as well. The next one is engagement. Um, having the child know that they actually really matter to the function of little community. So when you give your children chores to do at home, um, partly it's because the Lord knows we need the help. But when they do it, they have a sense of ownership for their family system because they contribute to it. Um, really important to, to do that. And the final one is opportunities for emotional growth. So letting kids explore, be curious, find out about the world, um, gradually test the limits of their abilities and independence um, is, is really important. And that's how it, and I think those are the kinds of experiences. And every family in every community is going to express those a little bit differently. Um, but it's really important um, to do that. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Segi. And it was wonderful to you to summarize, you know, as we get to the end of our time together, these positive childhood experiences, you know, you know, relationships, the environment that kids grow up in, the engagement um, and opportunities for emotional growth, things I can remember and go home with. Um, and I mean, I'll just say that I still have kids. My kids are 23, 2019, and I still focus on what are some experiences I can offer them. Uh, as they get older, I look for those. So it's been great to have you. But it's time for Stephanie to cue the music here, because one of our traditions at Public Health Out Loud is for Dr. Chan to give us our final word. Dr. Chan, what's the final word for today? Thank you, Dr. Segi, again for joining us. It's been certainly educational, and uh, I've taken away a lot of fantastic points as a parent. So thank you again. Much appreciated. Uh, in closing, I do want to leave our listeners with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of your day. And here it is. The biggest communication problem is we do not listen to understand, we listen to reply. So thank you all and be well. I want to thank Stephanie Menders, our executive producer, Carol Stone, our technical director. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. Have a good and keep up the great.